it's because confidence is so highly prized that many people would rather pretend to be smart or pretend to be skilled than to risk looking inadequate and losing face. So mm. it's going back to like that problem of trying to sound smart versus actually being smart, right? Mm-hmm. And the people that are playing this kind of game are people who are they they vie for status and they vie for mm-hmm. accruing that social capital because like that's that's all that really matters. And the there's this positive feedback loop that kind of comes out of this. And it occurs mm-hmm. when someone is so exaggeratedly certain in their answers and they so deeply in their soul believe that it's correct, they build up this sense and this image of perceived competence. Everyone like they think they're confident, they think they're right. Everybody around them is kind of mirroring that back to them. So we are Definitely. perpetuating that bad behavior exactly. too. Today's episode is on the Dunning-Kruger effect, a cognitive bias that explains why beginners overestimate their ability at something and experts tend to us underestimate themselves. Damien and I have seen this phenomena in so many aspects of our lives, and we really feel like it influences the world around us. So hopefully this sheds some light on some of the interactions you've had as well. You are now listening to the Next Iteration Podcast with your hosts Fuad and Damien. If you liked the episode, follow us on Spotify and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Our website was built by Face Solutions, logo designed by Charmeni, and music by Wonderly Music. We hope you enjoy the episode. All right, folks, welcome to the next iteration podcast. It still sounds super weird to say that, <laughs> hearing that come out of my mouth. Um, Fouad, do you, uh, yes, sir. How, uh, how good do you think you are at podcasting? Ooh, you have to start this <laughs> off with on, a, on a real note, eh? <sighs> it's a tough question to ask, you know. Given that I'm an amateur, if we read the Dunning-Kruger effect graph, I should have a pretty, pretty high, you know, confidence level. But uh, it's, a, it's a very good question. I don't know. I would say that we're, you know, top of the bell curve. Uh, if you consider that, like, the majority <laughs> of, like, podcasts people listen to that are, like, actually listen to are probably on the on the far end of the bell curve, we're probably top of the bell curve podcasters, you know. Okay, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, maybe cutting a little deeper. What about software engineering? Like, how, uh, how good of a Ooh. software engineer do you think you are? Ooh, that's a toughie. Um, how good of a software engineer am I? I can't answer this question without firstly going over what the Danny Kruger effect is, because I feel like no matter what kind of answer I give, I'm going to get flamed. <laughs> um, so why don't, why don't we go over maybe uh, a little bit about what the Danny Kruger effect is and why we want to talk about it in that the first place. That was a sick dodge. We're definitely coming back to the question. <laughs> I will come back to it. What are you saying? What is uh, Regalis? What is the Dunning Kruger effect? Absolutely. So, the Dunning Kruger effect is a type of cognitive bias in which people believe that they're smarter and more capable than they actually are. Uh, in essence, low ability people don't possess the skills needed to recognize that they're actually incompetent. And this combination of poor self awareness and low cognitive ability leads them to overestimate, you know, kind of how good they are. Mm-hmm. It stems from, you know, a couple studies done by, you know, Dunning and Kruger uh, <laughs> that, that go over uh, a bunch of tests that ask people to rate how confident they are in certain things uh, against, like, you know, their, their kind of knowledge. And they've kind of arrived at this really interesting graph that maybe we'll link in the description. But essentially, in the beginning, you're or if you have no ability, then you also have no confidence because you've never done anything at all, right? 
But then as soon as you start doing a little bit of something and you learn just enough to like, you know, actually at least perform the task, you shoot up crazily in confidence, way, way more than, you know, your skill attributes. Um, and then, you know, as you learn more and more, your confidence actually goes down and there's like a minimum uh, point at which you have, which you know enough to know that you're, you're actually just not that good at this thing. And so you have pretty low confidence in that action. And then eventually, you know, as you get to become an expert, you also know that you're probably one of the top people in the field. So, you know, your confidence and your ability are like accurately matched at the very, very highest levels. Um, and so that's just a rough graph. Obviously, you know, it depends on the person. It depends on, you know, how megalomaniac the person is and, you know, how egotistical the person is. But uh, uh, that's just a general idea of what the Dunning-Kruger effect graph shows. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, now to flip it on you, how good do you think you are at podcasting and where would you place yourself on that graph? Um, I would actually, so my answer is kind of biased because I've been familiar with the Dunning-Kruger effect for like quite a while now. So I'm constantly mm -hmm. checking myself. Like I'm constantly yep. like trying to find ways to call myself out. And I, I mean, like, I don't know if it's necessarily a healthy consequence of it, but like, I constantly think that I am not really trash, but like that I have like a, like a lot of room for improvement in pretty much everything. And even like if. Like, I, I don't really think that I, there's really anything that I can confidently say I have an exceptionally high degree of competence in. Mm -hmm. But even if I did, I would like to think that, you know, I would, the, the drive to keep learning, to keep even seeking incremental gains would keep me going. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like, it's interesting, again, like relating it to the the graph, right? So at the higher end of the graph, we actually see that the the people who are exceptionally competent in these in certain areas, they actually underestimate a bit their skill. Mm -hmm. And the the way that the effect affects them, I guess, is really interesting because the I mean, I guess the opposite of the the Dunning Kruger effect would be the would be imposter syndrome, right? Like which we've talked about before. So mm -hmm. people actually feel like at the top like higher ends of the graph that they don't deserve that like they don't think that they're necessarily that smart or that competent and what they do is actually elevate everybody else's or their perception of everybody else's competence so they don't think that they're really special in that regard they think that everybody else mm -hmm. kind of knows most of what they know so it's like everybody on this graph suffers from this effect to some degree like everybody mm -hmm. has some kind of like a misplacement yeah this yeah. This like miss yeah like this misplacement this inaccurate self perception of ability. Mm -hmm. So it's just funny how everybody's affected to this by this effect to some degree. Like nobody's mm -hmm. free of it. Like even even being aware of it, there are pockets of incompetence that we have that we're not even aware of. And mm -hmm. it's like that's rule number one of the Dunning Kruger effect, is that if you're part of the Dunning Kruger club, you're not aware that you're part of the Dunning Kruger club. So it's very like Fight yeah. Club esque in that manner, and it's I, <laughs> the uh, the the irony there is almost it's it's pretty funny, but it kind of sucks mm -hmm. because it causes this what they call the uh, this double curse of the Dunning Kruger effect, which is that mm -hmm. not only do you perform poorly, but you're also not self aware enough to judge yourself accurately, so mm -hmm. you don't even know how much you don't know, so you can't even grow. You can't acknowledge your your inadequacy in those in those areas so you're still stuck mm -hmm. there and you're just stagnant in your um in, in that inaccurate perception of yourself which is you know kind of sucks but i mean we've seen those people yeah. 
Oh, we've definitely seen those people. And and it sucks is like, you know, the first step to any self-improvement is always the admittance of something that's wrong yeah. or something that needs to improve. And if you can't even identify that, then how do you improve? There's actually a really good quote from Robert Hughes, who's like a famous art critic. And it's confidence is a prize given to the mediocre, which is, <laughs> you know, just so telling of like what you just mentioned, like even at very high levels, like there is like a point, you know, for example, like Roger Federer knows that he's the best, right? Yeah. He has a lot of confidence, but like, you know, in even in like fifth, sixth place in the world, like there is that that point at which, you know, you're almost there. You're pretty much one of the best people in the world. But, you know, you just don't have that supreme level of self-confidence. You always judge a little bit lower. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of ironic that, you know, people who hardly play at all are actually way more confident than those people, which is, you know, very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, this applies to I think this is endemic in society, like not just in, in the worlds of like athletics or you know, professional skills and, and, you know, uh, careers and things like that, but also in the world of politics. And, um, I don't know if you, you've heard of a guy named Chamat. Uh, he's a, a Canadian born and bred. He's a, he went to the university of Waterloo. He's a very also early investor in Facebook. So say he's also out. Sri Lankan. Yeah. Shout, out. shout out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sorry. I just had to throw it in there. Tell my island. No, of course. Of course. <laughs> shout out to all our Sri Lankan listeners. Yeah. You know, we have a couple on SoundCloud, so shout out you guys. Anyways, going back to what I was saying. So, um, Chamat was an early investor in Facebook, you know, really, really big name in Silicon Valley, part owner of the Warriors. And um, he actually has a really, really interesting interview on Real Vision that one of my friends showed me recently. And he mentions this like, you know, effect in politics as well, where, you know, people who generally make the most noise about an issue and who like, you know, are really, really like loud about what their beliefs are, mm-hmm. are actually some of the people that are most stupid and really like people in politics who really know their stuff almost come off as boring. And as such, they actually get less attention than people who know a lot less because they're like by nature, by the nature of politics as a field in general, the more, you know, the more centrist and moderate you become in your beliefs because you start to consider things from all sides. Mm -hmm. And because you become, you know, less uh, like gung ho about one specific perspective, you actually become more and more boring. And so you don't get as much media coverage Mm -hmm. and your expertise isn't drawn upon as much which is, um, you know, I think really, really indicative of kind of the Denning-Kruger effect. Like, you're not going to consider other points of view if, you know, you think you're the best at something or you think you're absolutely right, which is really, really interesting application of it, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, like, a bunch of thoughts on that. Like, first, if you are able to neatly nestle all of your political beliefs in one party, in one party, that's probably a good indicator that you need to kind of just reconsider everything from the ground up. Um, mm-hmm. there's, I mean, like, I, I'd find it hard to believe that like literally all your beliefs are perfectly encapsulated by one party. Um, mm-hmm. the, yeah. And like, like you said, right? Like the more you start to learn about the world, the more inherently centrist you become, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Even, I mean, like as you were describing it, right? Like the more vocal people tend to be the less versed in these issues, obviously mm-hmm. the person that comes to mind and a person, everybody touts as like the perfect <laughs> example of this effect is of course donald trump yes um you will not escape that um you know like i I don't know if anybody's called it the trump effect but i feel like you know that's fitting or like the power i like to colloquially call it the power of blindsight you know blindsight is 2020 yeah um but (laughs) if you can't see it all (laughs) exactly exactly (laughs) yeah and it's interesting to so the the authors were able to extract out three different um, kind of subtypes of overconfidence, which we'll talk about in a bit. But I just wanted to backtrack a bit and just kind of dive into what causes the Dunning-Kruger effect. 
Like, why is this even a thing? Mm-hmm. And when the authors were kind of like looking at it, they found that it's because confidence is so highly prized that many people would rather pretend to be smart or pretend to be skilled than to risk looking inadequate and losing face. So mm. it's going back to like that problem of trying to sound smart versus actually being smart, right? Mm-hmm. And the people that are playing this kind of game are people who are, they, they vie for status and they vie for mm-hmm. accruing that social capital because like that's, that's all that really matters. And, the, and I guess like tying it directly into some of those, those effects of overconfidence, there's this positive feedback loop that kind of comes out of this because this type of overconfidence is called overposition, which relates to people thinking that they know more than they do. And it occurs mm-hmm. when someone is so exaggeratedly certain in their answers and they so deeply in their soul believe that it's correct that mm-hmm. they build up this sense and this image of perceived competence. And so others believe like, okay, well, obviously, if you're speaking so confidently about this thing that you're well-versed in it, like you've done your research, you have to know, like why else would you be Definitely. speaking so confidently about it? Exactly. So they mirror that sense of confidence back to that other person so it's this positive feedback loop right everyone like they think they're confident they think they're right everybody around them is kind of mirroring that back to them so we are perpetuating that bad behavior too which kind of again like it sucks because we also don't want to like come off as looking dumb so we Mm -hmm. we don't want to like challenge somebody else's like especially when they're that confident we don't really want to challenge it because we don't want to look like we're lacking in that that domain like we don't want to mm-hmm. show them like the the uh, the lack of understanding, the lack of knowledge, and we we, we want to we want them to think we're smart too. Like if we think they're smart, mm-hmm. you know, we want them to mirror that as well. So yeah, it's Definitely. we're all digging a trap for ourselves. Absolutely, that reminds me so much of the you know the famous TED talk by Angela Duckworth with on grit. Yeah, and where she talks about those experiments that they did with um, I think it was second and third graders. Um, where they would give them the one test and they would take the kids who did really, really well on that test and tell them either two things. One, that they were really smart and that's why they did well on the test. Or two, that, you know, they did well on the test because they worked hard. Mm-hmm. And the, they found that the group of, you know, second and third graders who were told that they were smart actually did way worse on the second test uh, than the group of kids who were told that they worked hard because they figured, hey, if I'm doing badly on this test and I'm smart, that means the test is messed. So there's no point in trying. 100%. Right? 100%. But, um, you know, the kids who were told that they worked hard were like, okay, well, this test is hard, but I worked hard to do well on the other test. So let me just work harder and I'll do well on this test as well. Right. And so mm-hmm. they stuck with problems a lot longer and they were able to be, you know, more self-aware of their own deficiencies and like, because of that work harder on those specific areas. And so, yeah, it just kind of goes back to this point where, you know, toddlers probably suffer from the, even toddlers probably suffer <laughs> from the Dunning-Kruger effect where like, you know, if you're a kid and you're told you're the smartest kid in class and then this new kid comes up and he's like, oh, like, what about this? And like, you know, he poses that a question or something. You're going to pretend you know a lot about it because that challenges your identity as somebody who's smart, right? Absolutely. And that, the whole concept of like being confident, right? Like how we value that confidence in society more than we value the actual like knowledge of something. Because, you know, everybody knows that the loudest guy in the room is never the smartest guy in the room. And I've definitely been the loudest guy in the room so many times. <laughs> I can tell you firsthand that I'm not the smartest guy in the room. So... Yeah, 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 super interesting being, uh, kind of cognitive bias. I mean, love yeah. that you're humble about it, but um, it's, I mean... Mostly I'm just loud, to be honest. 
I mean, like, luckily, I guess for you and the people around you, like, you actually do carry a good weight to your words. Like, you usually do your homework, so kudos to you. I try to. Or I try to do enough homework so that I give the impression that I've done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And and that's that's one of the more insidious things about it, too, right? It's that even smart people can be affected by this this effect. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, like, having just intelligence isn't the same thing as learning and developing a specific skill. So a lot of people mistakenly believe that they can transfer their skills and experience in one area into another so just because Mm -hmm. like you're like somebody's a really good programmer say doesn't mean that they're going to be like sick with the jump shot like they think absolutely not (laughs) (laughs) absolutely not i can tell you prefers that experience yeah 100 (laughs) percent. and and, like maybe that might be a little stretch because like going from an intellectual to a physical domain but like even like somebody who's a Mm -hmm. sick programmer might like think that they're going to be a phenomenal writer and Mm -hmm. that that's not true at all like everything requires the this apprenticeship like you got to put in the hours Mm -hmm. you got to put in the work and realistically Mm -hmm. very few people and i I guess this is funny because like this would be also a reflection of the effect but like very few people are actually possess this level of intellectual i guess like superiority or intellectual capacity where things Mm -hmm. just generally come easier to them but of course Mm -hmm. like that being like probably like one percent of the population there's probably going to be like 50 percent of the population thinking they're part of that one percent bucket which exactly it's like the famous uh dry all drivers think that they're you know above average like 70 percent of drivers yeah. think that they're above average driver which is like exactly okay like <laughs> that's definitely not possible right so and we see this in um, literally every arena like in mm-hmm. in programming in driving in, in emotional intelligence and in, in math in writing like literally everywhere you see this yeah it's pretty amazing i think one area in which you know kind of bring it back to the political realm i think you know us as a society have like kind of endemically suffered from this dunning kruger effect in in the sense of you know gradually and gradually we've been giving people you know different kinds of people permission to solve society's problems and like kind of what we centered on recently is that oh if you're a tech billionaire you're smart enough to make billions off of a company that means you must be a superior so here solve the rest of the world's problems because you are superior right and mm. I think that like kind of arrogance, number one, but number two, just like the sheer like stupidity of, of thinking that like, oh yeah, like I'm not going to, I'll be the first to admit that Bill Gates has done incredible work with polio and things like that. Right. But uh, like, there's definitely a point at which we have to think of ourselves as a society as saying, Hey, like, why are we giving permission to these people to solve these problems when we have experts in these fields? We have, you know, experts in disease. We have public health agencies that are composed of thousands of experts in this domain. Like, why are we not giving them funding? Like, why are we shifting, you know, resources to somebody who thinks they can solve these problems because they're good at something else, right? And how does the Dunning-Kruger effect play into the, you know, kind of psychology and superiority complex, right? Um, I think Mm. that's all really, really important and interesting to consider as well because, you know, government definitely has inefficiencies and so do, you know, agencies and things like that. But so do companies, right? I'm sure that you've worked for a few companies who you know, have a little bit of inefficiency in them, right? So it's it's an interesting question of how the Nunning Kruger effect comes into comes into play for like with our idolization of entrepreneurs that we've kind of had in recent years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it I, again like a bunch of different thoughts there, but it reminds me of like this one quote by um, by Socrates. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, he he said the ancient oracles said that. I was the wisest of all the Greeks. It is because I alone of all the Greeks know that I know nothing. Which, you know, mm. like, that's it. Like, that's the entire effect right there. 
just to understand the depths of our lack of knowledge i guess like it's it's funny because mm-hmm. like as soon as you start learning about something and like you said right like at first there's this bump in confidence where you feel like you know everything but then the more you go the more you start to discover that there's this gigantic vast ocean of knowledge that you barely even touched like even in these domains right and it's that's why it's important to understand that you can't transfer your competence in one area to the uh, to another just like that so yeah these tech mm-hmm. billionaires i mean like i don't know how many of them assume that they can just you know single-handedly take on like the world's problems but i think a lot of them mm-hmm. are smart enough to realize that yeah you know i need help like i'm not certain, smart enough to tackle all these issues myself i need mm-hmm. someone who's an expert in these other areas in order to help out mm-hmm. which is so important and it, it's i don't know it's just so weird how this ties into a conversation i had with one of my friends recently but yeah war shouldn't have had to be the thing the propulsive force for a lot of the innovation we've seen in the world but then you know mm-hmm. we've seen things like the military industrial complex come out of it and now the other like the only other way that innovation is really spurred on is through the benevolence of some of these like tech billionaires or these people who have mm-hmm. hoarded in inane amounts of wealth it is only through mm-hmm. their word through their beckoning that people are able to get the resources needed to try to solve some of these other problems absolutely yeah which i mean you would think that there should be an easier way that you would think that we as a society should value solving some of these more pervasive problems in society but you know sometimes that's just not that's not what makes the bills you know that's not what makes all the money exactly it's it's just insane i think it's like a societal problem like i don't think it's like the fault of the entrepreneur like yeah if you're able to accumulate that much wealth and like you have confidence like that then like why shouldn't you tackle one of those problems Mm -hmm. right but uh I, I think it's just like endemic of society. Like, how do we let this person be the, uh, the only solution to this problem? And like, how do we let this person get to this point in the first place? Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's a societal question. And I think that's where we should focus our attention on. Not like specific billionaires and whether or not, you know, they're doing enough and like whether or not they should be doing enough. Like, you know, with the fact that they're in that position in the first place, like it, going back to, we're a little bit off topic here, but like, for example, in Congress, all right. I just find it astounding how Congress asked Zuckerberg these questions like, oh, why did you acquire Instagram? Like, he acquired Instagram because he wanted to make more money. Like, why would he not acquire Instagram? You know, that's so obvious. The fact of the matter is that Congress needs to stop him. Like, you know, in an unchecked system, he will make this decision. Why would Zuckerberg say, hey, you know, what if there's a monopoly? What if I have too much power? Let me not buy Instagram. Like, why would he say that? You know, anyone and myself included, if I were in that position... I would have made the decision to acquire Instagram as well. And I should not be allowed to make that decision. And that's the whole purpose of like checks and balances and how we structure society. But anyways, we're a little bit off topic. So I kind of want to switch it back to the Dunning-Kruger effect. (laughs) Um, So we talked about one feature of the graph, which is called Mount Stupid, uh, where essentially, you know, people who with very low, uh, you know, ability and experience have extremely high confidence. And that's sort of the peak in the graph that you see. Uh, But there's another part of the graph. It's called the Valley of Despair where, you know, you have like a middle amount of experience, you know, from mid to high, uh, but you have an extremely low level of confidence where you're basically, you know, you're struggling at something and you, you're getting better, but you're like, I'll never get this. I'll never get to the, mm. you know, top 1% of performers in this category. And so let's talk a little bit about that because I think it relates a lot to, you know, imposter syndrome and, and all those kinds of feelings as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, what are, first off, what are your thoughts on the valley of despair and how have you experienced that, I guess, in your own life? Man, it's I, I think like this is something that is incredibly pervasive and this is probably something that crushes a lot of dreams before they're able to be realized 
because this is where people start to really feel the friction of diving into a new domain and this is like the like as the first kind of point of struggle people just want everything to be easy mm-hmm. and a lot of people aren't willing to you know, again like put in that apprenticeship that that a lot of these things need but it's also a beautiful thing you know like just having the opportunity to be able to overcome something like this like if you can overcome the value of despair that's going to instill in you so much confidence and you're you know that that level of confidence is actually like be it a fallacy or not like it is transferable like just be just knowing that even if you don't know something about another domain just having the confidence from overcoming this one thing you know that you can do this again it might take you a little mm-hmm. longer but you can 100% do it again and mm-hmm. you know that confidence aspect of the dunning kruger effect is so important because you know you need a level of confidence in life in order to take bets on yourself in order to mm-hmm. keep going could you imagine like navigating life when you're constantly questioning and just hesitating every choice that you're making mhm mhm you're like that that's hard yeah. so you you need there there is a degree of foolhardiness i guess that you need to get through life and to kind of drive it's that age old quote that like you know the only people who change the world are the ones stupid enough to believe that they can yeah and it's so true yeah. because otherwise like yeah. i mean like again like, the future belongs to the optimists you have to be mm-hmm. optimistic and crazy enough to be willing to acknowledge that there's a problem but a problem that can be solved otherwise you know the what are the pessimists doing nothing they're just jeering at whoever is actually trying to solve those problems they're just haters mm-hmm. bro but you know, there's haters everywhere. The haters are just there to be proved wrong. <laughs> Both yeah. Dunning and Kruger, man. Both haters. But uh, yeah, yeah no, I think? think it's yeah. no, I think that's absolutely right. Like it, it's it's the same thing with optimism in the sense. And I'm glad you mentioned that parallel because you know, at the end of the day, uh, even if something is, if you look at the the exact probability of success, and you're like, okay, there's a thirty percent chance I'm right. There's a sixty percent chance, seventy percent chance this fails, and I'm horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. Then you know, either way. You know, whether you're an optimist or a pessimist, your odds won't change. So you might as well be an optimist and you might as well be a little bit overconfident because you'll still be wrong. And I remember, oh, man, it's so interesting how these conversations come back to you. But uh, I had this really great conversation with one of my friends, uh, Liam, uh, when he took me to my first driving range, like for golf. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were playing golf and we're like both of us suck. Like, you know, (laughs) it was our first time playing. We would miss the ball bare times, you know, things like that. And I remember at one point I turned to Liam and I said, yo, just pretend you're going to hit it. And he's like, what? He's like, you already hit it. And I'm like, what? Um, and it's like, basically, you have to think you've already hit the ball. Like before you hit the ball, you have to be like, I've already hit it. It already went super far. Damn, I'm so good at this. Visualize right? it. And then you go in for your hit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Visualizing. Athletes do this all the time. Yeah. And then you go for in your hit and either you miss it and you look like a complete fool or you hit it exactly how you imagined it, right? Mm-hmm. But either way, you know, doubting yourself would just put you in a worse position. Would just reduce those odds. Let's say the odds are 30, 70, like I mentioned. Oh, yeah. 30% you hit you hit it perfectly, 70% you miss it completely. You can't get higher than 30%, but you can definitely get lower than 30% if you start doubting yourself. So you might as well just pretend it's like 100 to 0 and be super confident and act like you've already done it and just focus on what you're going to do after. Like after you've hit the ball, what are you going to do? You're going to follow through and you're going to you know, like just tee up the next one. So just focus on doing that and everything else will come naturally. And um, I don't know, that was the, that conversation just stood out to me a lot. So, yeah. I mean, if 30% is all you're going to hit, might as well hit those 30% shots 100% of the time, right? 
and it's crazy exactly. like the mind games that we play with ourselves and this i guess it's like, like physical pursuits are a little more it's it's a little easier to identify when like the mind games take a toll there because we have like actual mm-hmm. hard evidence to kind of see but it's crazy how much these mind games can derail us and like through mm-hmm. like literally nothing else like we are literally just sabotaging ourselves in doing that and even like when it comes to hitting like a jump shot or hitting that that, that golf ball like down range right mm-hmm. you your mind and your body need to be in sync there and yeah they, i don't know it's that's actually a good point because i never even thought about it like that and how it could tie into mm-hmm. this yeah i guess we all got to start from a place of false confidence in order to match that like fake it till you make it type of thing right yeah and i think that's why the graph is the way it is like mount stupid appears in the beginning precisely because of that because you know if you're not confident enough you're not going to stick with something because mm-hmm. you're going to be like oh my god i suck this is really hard and you're never going to do it you know like i think it's nice to you know start with something like for coding like or for me coding was something like that like yeah. i built my first web app and i was like damn i'm sick with this shit. Like, <laughs> i can make anything in the world and then you know i made a few apps and then i was like oh my god this is way harder than i thought like there's yeah. a reason like like a website like Facebook has like 40,000 engineers working on it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and you realize that it's not like you can't build Facebook in your garage overnight. Like uh, Rome wasn't built in a day and all that. Right. And so I think that overconfidence is actually nice for getting started and for getting you into something. And then, you know, inevitably people hit that slump where, where you know, the imposter. Yeah. In. Especially in tech. I've, I've experienced it firsthand where it's like, okay, well, you know, you thought you were good and you get to a place where, you know, people who think you're as good as you are, are, and you're like, wait, everyone's actually better than me. Do I even deserve to be here? You know, type of thing. And those thoughts come into play. That's like kind of the value of despair that we mentioned with the Dunning-Kruger effect. And, you know, that part, that's very hard to get out of too. Um, can you think of any moments in your life when, when you experience that as well? The value of despair? Yeah. Yeah. I also just want to say like, was it Mount Stupid? It's only yeah. it's only a good thing if you are constantly challenging that and that you're working towards you know again making your way up the graph because if you just pause there at the at the mount of stupid, then you're stupid. That's the worst place to yeah. be. Yeah, that's actually the worst place <laughs> to be because then you start creating problems for more than just yourself. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um. Yeah. But yeah, in terms of like the value of despair, um, I mean, I feel like I. I encounter it a lot because I end up like biting off more than I can chew when I jump into things a lot. And mm-hmm. it's like I skip the the Mount Stupid and I just go straight into the despair. Just like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, more recently um, in one of my courses, um, we had to make our first like website. And mm-hmm. it was my first foray into like JavaScript and CSS, HTML. And, you know, I, you know, I used to think that websites were just HTML. So like that was kind of like a rude mm-hmm. awakening when I realized that all of these other things kind of came into play. And then mm-hmm. here I am kind of just doing it. And then I would, you know, type something out. I would just write out a line and it's just not working. It breaks everything. And then I'm just ripping mm-hmm. my hair out trying to figure out why the hell none of this shit is working. And then yeah. I realized that I misplaced like a comma or a bracket somewhere. I'm just like, fuck, Those ones. this is oh so frustrating. Or it, like, it's actually the worst. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it was incredibly. And like, even just like, I would, sometimes I would just not touch it and it would be working. And I would not do anything into it, and it would just randomly stop working. And then I just leave it alone, and it just starts working again. Like, I, like I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, if there's some entropic force at play, or like what it is, <laughs> but um, yeah, that was just one of the more recent ones um, that I've I've come to to face. But what about you? Yeah, no. Um, 
so many things that I've, I've found imposter syndrome in and like sort of that value despair. And I think, you know, it, it's telling, like, like I mentioned before, like that Mount Stupid, you're right. It's only a good thing, but what it can do, it's only a good thing if you get past it, but what it can do is it can give you, you know, enough enthusiasm mm-hmm. or something to push past the value of despair. Cause yeah, if I started in the Valley of Despair, I don't know if I'd ever get out. You know, I'd just literally just stay there or like quit mm-hmm. and stop doing that thing. It's just because like I felt like there was nowhere else I could go after that. And so, yeah, like I've, I've definitely felt that so many times with, with my career, like coding for sure. Like, yeah. there, I feel like every day when you code, like is you have like a mini Dunning-Kruger graph. Like <laughs> you start on a problem and you're like, okay, here's the problem. You get the ticket, you accept it. You talk to your manager and your manager's like, yeah, you just have to do this. And you're like, okay, yeah, soft, I'll do this you know, I'll get, get it to you by the end of the day. You're like eight hours, you know, let me get my coffee. I'm good. Five hours in, you're like, dude, this is going to be like two weeks of work. <laughs> you're like, I can't do this. And then like, you know, by 5 PM, you're like, okay, soft. Like, you know, let me submit this. Like I'm done. Right. So yeah. it's, it's like a mini exercise in that every day. And that's, you know, that's one of the beauties of the, of the job, I think in the sense that you're always growing, but then, you know, it, it does become dangerous. Cause as you do more and more of those, like you mentioned, like it, it also matters like how you translate that confidence between tasks and mm-hmm. so i think you know just having the knowledge of this effect like one thing that's super useful for our listeners is like just even knowing about this helps prepare you for that moment of overconfidence and yeah kind of helps prepare you to stop yourself from looking like a buffoon in front of people who actually know more than you right and yeah. i think that matters a lot um you know and in the interest of making a better you and things like that i think everyone would benefit from a little bit more of self-awareness and like really critically consider where am I in this process? Why do I feel so confident when I actually haven't done that much? Because, you know, chances are you're not the next child genius at this thing. You're not the born born again version of, you know, Gary Kasparov and like playing chess. Like, <laughs> yeah. no, it's 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 because you're probably playing people who are pretty bad. And so maybe take a step back and think, you know, where can I improve? Why am I so confident? Like, and how do I actually get better yeah. at this thing? And I think that's, that's the biggest takeaway for me. Yeah, and like if anyone wants a little like i guess life hack and how to disarm people who are trying to sound smart and you're trying to like kind of figure out are they actually smart or are they trying to sound Mm -hmm. smart all you got to do is just ask why you know they'll say something and then you know you ask why and usually like if you ask it twice twice is all usually all it takes after three times then they usually know their stuff but like, yeah, yeah, I mean, you can always keep asking why, right? And then that why will basically dig deeper into how deep their understanding is of something. If they can't even understand mm-hmm. the first why, they have no fucking idea what they're talking about. They're just parroting something they yeah. read somewhere. Absolutely. And you hear this so much in the, oh, um, actually, I think it's because, uh, you know, oh, yeah, I, I mean, I can link you the article. Like, you know, and they just like shift. all the. Yeah, exactly. All the shifty little conversation um, deniers and avoidances, like all that kind of, you know, gives you a clear idea that they don't know what they're talking about. And exactly. I think that's that's a, that's a really good skill to have, you know, being able to expose that and. And, you know, not not in like a kind of vindictive way, but in a way that encourages you to seek out your own research and not take things as dogma. Right? Yeah, that's why like it's important to surround yourself with people who constantly check you. And like if you are going to be taking like a, a venture into a new domain, a new sector, just new area that you're not familiar with and you're going to be a brand spanking new novice in, try mm-hmm. and partner up with somebody who is more familiar with the domain than you are. Because they're going to be able to give you a more objective and accurate assessment of where you're at. And that's the easiest mm-hmm. way to be able to overcome Mount Stupid is by having somebody else make you feel like you're stupid for like thinking that, you know, you know everything. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. Bro, you know what the biggest f- plot twist out of all of this would be? 
if you know Dunny and Kruger were actually just overestimating their abilities to judge human behavior. <laughs> <laughs> well, what would what would be even more of a Dunny and Kruger effect is if Dunny and Kruger released like the first paper so that people would pretend to be experts on the effect and then release a second paper that was like, nah, you guys are wrong. You guys massively overthought your confidence in this thing. You guys are failed psychologists. That'd be wild. They're just... Imagine. Shit. Okay, I'm about to do some more Googling because honestly, <laughs> I'm, I'm pulling a little bit of a dunny Kruger with this episode because I did not do all my research. So. Yeah, but we uh, we wanted to keep this one a little shorter and uh, wow, we're almost at 40 minutes, which is crazy, but it was, it's been a fun conversation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Let us know. Like, Do you have any experiences with people who were just you know straight up bullshitting you, trying to sound smart? And how have you fallen prey to the Dunning-Kruger experience, the Dunning-Kruger effect in your own life. Let us know. Yeah, you have any final thoughts, Fouad? No, just, uh, you know, check your biases, check your check your overconfidence, and, you, you know, make know. sure you're always out there to learn more. Yes, sir. All right. All right, ciao. Ciao. If you liked the episode, follow us on Spotify and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Our website was built by Face Solutions, logo designed by Charmeni, and music by Wonderly Music. Thank you for listening.